In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. And this is the second part of a two-part episode series on favorite Walt Disney World-themed books. In anticipation of the resort's forthcoming 50th anniversary, continuing to discuss such titles are fellow podcasters Len Testa, co-host of the Disney Dish podcast, and Dan Heaton, host of the Tomorrow Society podcast. Now, I'd also encourage you to check out the newest episode of the Tomorrow Society, as I was a guest to discuss favorite theme park composers and musical geniuses with Dan. That was a blast. So I really want you to check that out and hear some of Dan's picks and see if they align with mine. Um, On that note, uh, we are going to proceed with talking about favorite Walt Disney World books. So let's get right back into that conversation now. All right, Dan, over to you. Okay, well, I'm going to switch things around a little bit from the list I gave you that um, just in the order. We haven't really talked about books written about specific attractions very much so far. It's been more been about parks and people. And there are some really good books. There aren't that many, but it's particularly with like Pirates and Haunted Mansion, kind of some of the big attractions, especially Haunted Mansion. So I want to mention two books. There's a third book that has actually came out um, at one point about that kind of like connects to this well i'll mention this one first which is the haunted mansion imagineering a disney classic is the first one this is by jason sorrell who um actually wrote this when he had already left disney and now it was with universal creative but still a big fan of disney and he had written a book earlier that was called i believe from the magic kingdom to the movies he'd written one about haunted mansion and about pirates of the caribbean and those are good too But what I like about this one, again, it's another official Disney title, but it's really recent. It's from 2015, and he goes through not only the Haunted Mansions. It's a lot of colors. Again, it's soft cover, but it's um, kind of like a coffee table book. And um, 
goes through Phantom Manor, Mystic Manor, and some people might argue whether or not that's a haunted mansion, but regardless, and Tokyo. Oh, you, you went there. You went there. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings. You know, I don't, I don't hate comparing it because they are kind of similar, but also very different. But regardless, I like seeing that in a book, for example. So this is the official book. And I think it just goes in a lot of detail. It doesn't focus on the movie. <laughs> so it doesn't like, like that other book, you kind of get to a point and you're like, I'm really liking this. It's great. Oh, now we got to focus on the movie for, for this last part of the book. Here, it's all about the Haunted Mansion. But there's a second book that I also want to mention, which is the unauthorized story of Walt Disney's Haunted Mansion by Jeff Bam, who is the man behind DoomBuggies.com. He's also one of the long-running co-hosts of Nostalgia, the great Disneyland podcast. And he's had multiple editions. And I think what's good about that is he's really just, he kind of writes it like a story. Like the story of the Haunted Mansion is like a two-part book where the first part is really the history. And even though it's unauthorized, there's still a lot of research that he's done to go into. And he takes it back to the really early days, even before Rolly Crump and everything that was going on there with Dale Gracie and Rolly Crump and everything. Well before that, takes it through the whole history and then the second half goes through the whole mansion and has continued to update it and that's fun too just because there are stories or things in there that maybe disney wouldn't put in their book but these two mm. together are really good companion pieces to each other jeff's is more like you know a text-based story whereas jason's is a lot more pictures and concepts and everything so if you have the two together you're kind of getting the full picture of the mansion and i think both of them are definitely worth picking up Wow. That's All right. Great. So I'm, I'm going to disagree on the Jason Sorrell book. I, I, I didn't like it. I, I, <laughs> That's okay. It, the, photo, the photographs were fantastic. I didn't think the text was um, anything more than anyone who, was in, who knew anything about theme parks would have known. But uh, yeah, the, the strength of that book is the photography. Well, diplomatically say it that way. No, I agree. Um, yeah. The uh, I haven't read the second book though. That's uh, that sounds fantastic. I actually, when we get to mine, I'm actually doing a haunted mansion book next too. So we'll just we'll, we'll might as well just talk about this. Yeah, let's theme. transition. Uh, well, no, go ahead. Uh, um, did you want to add something about uh, about Dan's book? Yeah, I was going to say I do not have the um, I do not have Jeff's book. Um, I have Jason's, and I haven't checked it out in too much depth. So I. I can be very uh, diplomatic as well. Um, but I, I, what I've seen through the book so far is that um, it's, um, well, it's glossy, which is nice. And ultimately, <laughs> I, I, like, I like if it feels good. <laughs> I like if it feels good. I'll say that much. It has a heft. <laughs> I, like the, I like the backhanded compliment. Well, it's glossy. No, the thing is, the re there's a reason I listed both. Because I feel like if I just said Jason's, it's not giving you the full picture of the story. Right. And I think I know where you're going next, which is a book I haven't read yet, but I definitely want to. But I think Jeff's is more like the, I would call it like the biography of the Haunted Mansion, sure. like from start to finish. So I think two together, plus what Len's going to mention, I think will really give you the, the full picture of it. So let's go right into it. Len, take it away. All right, so this was on my list uh, before I knew what Dan was going to say, but it's uh, Boundless Realms by Fox Nolte, um, which just came out like in the last couple months, right. but is a, an in-depth, not only history of the Haunted Mansion, primarily in Walt Disney World, but a scene-by-scene -scene breakdown of 
the history of each room in the haunted mansion, explaining what the idea was, what got built, and then revisions over the years and how they either enhanced or detracted from the overall theming. And it's a remarkably comprehensive book. Fox has done a great job in, in running it. She was, a, from what I understand, a cast member in Walt Disney World for a number of years. And so like tells about traipsing through backstage areas of the Haunted Mansion um, and some of the sort of things the cast members did on it. Um, the other thing that I like about the book is apparently she's gone through the imagineering, the, the, the films the, and the short clips that Disney had put together um, where Imagineers explained sort of the ideas behind the Haunted Mansion. And from those clips, she'll do things and like look at the books that are on their desk, for example, and say, okay, this book that's on the top of this guy's stack on his desk is probably where they got the idea for this part of the outside architecture because there's this plate or this photo in this book that looks exactly like this thing that's in the Haunted Mansion. And again, it's stuff that Disney will never tell you. I think Disney would sometimes prefer to just have you assume that these ideas spring fully developed from the heads of Imagineers. Um, but to get the detail of um, where they came from is, is really important. One of the great things that I got, and it's in early on in this book too, is this idea, and, and Fox is pretty convincing in, in arguing this, is that um, the Haunted Mansion's place isn't supposed to be Hudson River Valley, New York. It's supposed to be near an ocean somewhere. And I wouldn't have believed it until I read like that particular chapter in the book. And now I think it's true. Wow. That's really compelling. And a recent yeah. release too. So I'm, I'm glad you brought Great that into book. the conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic book. Yeah. It's, um, I think in the, in the first week that it came out, like four different people emailed me a link to the book and said, hey, have you read this? I'm not a huge, I mean, I love the haunted mansion, but before I read this book, I thought I pretty much knew everything there was to know about it. You know? Um, no, just a fantastic different way of looking at the, uh, the book. The, my one criticism of it, again, uh, there are relatively few illustrations for a first author, first book. Um, I understand why there are no photos in it. Maybe that uh, we can do an enhanced version later on. But yeah, great reading, um, especially if you like, uh, like the ride. Yeah, and her her blog, Passport to Dreams, Old and New, oh is my so god, great. most amazing <laughs> blog. The oh, best. You the one. Go ahead. Yeah, the, it's the best in detail. Best in detail thing. The, just the. Have you read the blog on the Jungle Cruise music? I I've read all of them. I, yeah, I remember because oh then god. she like found like put together like a playlist of the music. The playlist exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just just amazing. Like, where do you get the time to do this? <laughs> How? I, How do you find this stuff? It's that's amazing. I read her stuff and I'm like, why do I bother to write anything? I mean, I know, it's so right? like, she wrote this long thing about the drop. elevators, like about the elevators, not just one goes up and one does it and everything with a stretching room, but like so much more detail and why they did this. And then I was just like, my goodness, this is, um, this is, I know. Next, and you're reading it and you're like, I mean, sometimes you, you could criticize stuff and say, well, nobody cares about these details, but you're looking at this and like, well, that's an important sentence. Well, that's an important sentence. Oh, well, you can't, you know, now I understand this so much more. Like, it's, it, it's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball and be like, I, I can, you know, I can't do that. You know, I mean, I can play basketball. Like, you know, I, I can write words 
on a page, but not like this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a great book. It's really good. That's awesome. I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, my next pick uh, is mostly, I'd say mostly an art book. And it's the type of book that I would have loved to have had as a child. Um, because as a kid, whenever I went to the theme parks, I would save all of the park maps. I absolutely loved going Oh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Yeah. So 2016, we have a release called Maps of the Disney Parks. Um, and this is just a beautiful hardcover book that covers both um, attraction maps, fun maps, regular park guide maps, concept art um, of really all of the different Disney theme parks um, stemming from as early back to Disneyland to uh, more recently with Shanghai Disneyland. And it's really, um, it may not be absolutely comprehensive. There are certainly a lot of different um, types of maps that I would have liked to see included, but for what you have here, um, it's pretty good. Um, and ultimately, there's not a whole lot of text. Um, with each chapter, there's a little bit um, of material that kind of illustrates the era. Um, much of it is kind of divided by decade, more or less. But mm. it's it's really stunning, and I, I just really have to um, say that I I'm continually intrigued by the new details that I pick up from looking at park maps. And I think um, it, this was kind of illustrated earlier and um, talking in what you're saying, Dan, about the, the Epcot book, um, the, the 1982 release, where there were illustrations of um, pavilions that had not surfaced yet. And so when you look at um, one, of the, one of the fun maps of Epcot Center from 81, it shows the seas living seas. It shows Morocco. It shows equatorial Africa. Mind you, it's not like it's a distinct piece of artwork that you've never seen before. But again, this for a, this is also kind of a primer for a lot of folks for um, what Disney encompasses. I could see this being the type of book that you'd give someone saying, hey, you know, um, here's what Disney looks like across all, all over the world. And there's a lot of Walt Disney World content. There's um, a beautiful a 1986 map of uh, Disney MGM Studios um, from <sighs> Colin Campbell. Are you familiar with that one? I, I actually uh, took a photo of it on my cell phone to talk about it on this, on this show. <laughs> Please yeah, take I'm, away. I'm looking at it right now, actually. Yeah, yeah what are I'm your thoughts? Right uh, so uh, it's one of the, I think, the four or five best illustrations in the book is uh, – you're right. It's a conceptual overview, and you can, as soon as you can, uh, on the on the left hand page, you see the uh, um, the Mickey greeting the world. What's the name of that? Uh, crossroads. Uh, sort of crossroads. Yeah. So you see that, and you immediately know where you're supposed to be in the park, you know. And then you find Echo Lake behind it, and then you know further out some other stuff. But yeah, it's a it's a super interesting conceptual view of the park, and it's pretty close to what we got. Ish. I mean, um, you see Animation Courtyard, you see Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard. Obviously, right. there's no Tower of Terror in this version of it, but but yeah, I mean, it's you see the um, uh, Gertie the dinosaur, um, you see Min and Bill's Dockside uh, Diner. It's it's basically the layout that we we came close to getting. There's some uh, there, there's some water features on Hollywood Boulevard that I think people would have walked into in the concept art like they would have like you know let's let's hope this water feature isn't deep because people are going to go into it um yeah but uh but overall also there was the um uh the stuff in the back that we didn't get there's a mountain which i guess was catastrophe canyon 
Yes, I believe that's what And it there's was. a river back there too. And I don't know what that was. But yeah, great, great concept, great art. Yeah, and it's really a counterpoint of sorts too. So whereas that in many ways, say for some exceptions, really resembled what MGM Studios would become, on the flip side, there's concept art, basically a concept aerial map of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And I don't know if this is in the book that you mentioned there, Dan, but it's from Joe Rohde um, in 1991. It barely resembles the park that would surface seven years later. But just interesting just to draw those comparisons between those envisionings of what, you know, what the park would be versus what it actually amounted to once all the money was spent, right? Yeah, I think it's in the book. It sounds familiar that you're mentioning. I haven't seen this book, but also um, the same team, I believe, um, at least Vanessa Hunt was involved with it, did the poster art, yes. poster which book. I have yeah. that one. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah, that one's really cool. And I know they did a monitor. She was involved with the monitor one too, but the poster yes. art one, I think is more similar to the maps where you just kind of page through it. And again, just all kind of images and it's, it's, um, want, it's want, really cool. Want, yeah. Want, yeah. I want them all. <laughs> yeah. I, there are a couple of a uh, couple of maps on here that I really really love. One is page twenty three, one of the first um, uh, maps of Tom Sawyer Island in Frontierland in Disneyland. Oh yeah, where it, it actually has like thirteen different attractions, if you will, on Tom Sawyer Island, from the landing to the fishing pier, through the caves, you know, Fort Wilderness, the training post, and so on. But it's it's done in the same style at it's in, in its own unique style, like. Off of the banner, off the heading for Tom Sawyer Island is a uh, is a fishing pole that sort of like separates the heading from the rest of the map, and then off the fishing pole is a tin can that someone caught. You know, it's just these these little touches <laughs> in the map that that are that are great. Uh, and you see Tom and Huck on the right hand side of the uh, the map. So it's page twenty three. That one's fantastic. The other one um, is uh, later on. There is a very detailed look at. Um, Disneyland. And when I say detail, I mean, every, there's a name associated with every store on Main Street. Yes, yeah, and then, exactly. Yeah, and then every, every scene and every element of Jungle Cruise has this thing like, here's the Headhunter, here's Schweitzer Falls, here are the trumpeting elephants, right? Here's the wild orchids, here's the Cambodian Temple. And it's like that throughout the entire park. Like every, everything that is its own entity in Disneyland is labeled on this map. And I've never seen a map like that before. Yeah, some of those, especially those, some of those fun maps are real gifts. I know there's, um, and I think it's featured in the book, there's one from Disneyland's 50th anniversary. um, And that was a fun map. You could pick it up at the parks, um, not too expensive. And kind of akin to the one that you just described would have such um, just playful, fun detail um, related to each of the attractions. It's, It's special. There's, a, there's also a, a map, so it's an illustrated map of the different scenes in Pirates of the Caribbean. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's beautiful as well. Yeah, that's a great book. That's a really, really good book. Cool. All right, um, let's turn it back over to Dan. Okay, well, this one, again, falls more into the concept art and photos more than the words being the thing. And this is, um, there's two versions of this book. The one I have is from 1996, and this is like a giant book which is Walt Disney Imagineering, a behind-the-dreams look at making the magic real. Yes. 
I don't know how the 2010 book is or the one that's more recent. So I can't really say if that one's, you know, the same, but there are just a lot of really cool concepts and drawings and just, it's so big. Like basically if you want to see like a lot, like we talked about some of those other books, like where they'll have cool concept art and such, but sometimes it can be kind of small where this it's like full page, multiple page. There's a part where you fold out that has a bunch of, photos or there's like we mentioned colin campbell there's this nighttime shot of hollywood boulevard that he does that's incredible or sam mckim two-page rendering of the magic skyway like across two full pages and there's just a lot of that another one and i promise i'll stop just listing things i know that's really exciting podcasting <laughs> but another one is in 1980 a two-page heartbeat of africa which was the show at epcot Herb Ryman is a two-page concept art from that. And it's very just like it's a concept art, so it's not showing you that much. But that's the Uh thing where this is really one of those going to someone's house, sitting down and just paging through and looking at pictures kind of book. But I mean that the best way possible. There's a lot there. And there is some text, but the text kind of fits in more with if you have those Imagineering field guides, similar to that, where it's a lot like Mm. a little on the – the magic of Imagineering kind of idea. And again, I haven't read all the text that, that recently, but it does have quotes and it does a good job also of identifying who the artists are, which that Epcot book that I mentioned does not yeah, do, where it doesn't, doesn't do it. say who they are, where this it'll say specifically, this one by Colin Campbell, or this one by Her Ryman, which I think is really helpful because a lot of this, you want to know, like, who are the artists who made this amazing art beyond just yeah. who worked on the attraction? So as like an art book, I think this is cool, even beyond like the info on the attraction. So it's just kind of a fun, it's not that cheap. I mean, you're going to go, it's not a hundred dollars. So we're ahead of that, but it's like, you know, we're talking 30, 40 bucks, but um, it's a nice thing. If you want to have something to kind of page through and look at some really cool things. Yeah, this is absolutely one of my favorite Disney books in general. I have the 96 version like you, Dan. And um, I wasn't going to mention this because I knew you were going to cover it on the show. Um, I think there's also some really nice attention to, uh, I think I seem to recall pages that are focused on signs in Walt Disney World and the <laughs> unique fonts associated with that. Um, it's, it's a magnificent title. It's one that I think is totally worth it, whether you get the 96 edition or the, the one from about a decade ago. Very comprehensive and really gives appreciation to all the different facets of Imagineering, whether it be folks um, who are painters to uh, folks who d- design sculptures. It's, it's really magnificent. Yeah. And um, just paging through it just right now, even the benefit of the 96 one is like, there's an audio animatronic section and it has an animatronic from alien encounter. Now, I don't know if they would have swapped that out for the more recent mm. one, but there's a lot of things like that that may not still be there. You know, so that that's what I think is cool about it. Though I'm sure the newer one has concepts from attractions that weren't made at the time that might be enjoyable too. But it's it's a cool book. I'm gonna have to get this. Yeah, I kind of got burned out on, on Imagineering books published by Disney, but this sounds this sounds wonderful. Oh, it's so worth it, really. <laughs> is it really? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Fantastic. All right, I learned something today. All right, so uh, we've talked about uh, uh, nonfiction stuff. I'm, uh, I'm going to throw in one fiction thing, and that's uh, Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom by Cory Doctorow, which is a uh, young adult sci-fi novel set in the future where um, people actually live in the Magic Kingdom. 
And uh, so Corey uh, walks through a scenario where, so I think he wrote this in 2003, was it? But the, the thing that I love about, uh, about the book is, yeah, it was 2003. Um, a couple of things. One, Corey is super cool. Um, he is a huge Disney fan. The first time I ever heard about him uh, was somebody had emailed me something where he said something nice about the unofficial guide that we were working on. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's a, a, you know, a theme park fan. And I looked him up and he runs the website um, Boing Boing. He is a prolific author. He's also very big into open source uh, uh, free software and sort of uh, like the defender of intellectual freedom um, around the web. He's, there are a lot of communities that occur a lot of things um, on the internet. Um, but yeah, so the book opens with this idea that you're, uh, people are living in the Magic Kingdom um, and they, they're running the attractions and they're, uh, but they're competing for guests' attention. So there's still guests coming into the parks, but now it's like individual groups of people instead of the Disney Corporation who are hmm. running things like Hall of Presidents. And they're competing for this thing, it's social credit called Woofies. And so again, Corey wrote this in 2003 and you're like, well, why would, how could you ever have this concept of social credit, you know, across an entire nation? And now you realize, you know, basically that's what China is doing, right? With the social reputation score. But Corey said this 20 years ago. Um, and so it goes through, you know, there's, there's a relationship drama involved in it, but the, the, the way that he weaves in this sort of like techno future with the, um, with the, the intricacies of running the Magic Kingdom is just amazing. Like he's a huge theme park fan, but he's talking about these broader, uh, broader societal issues. You know, like what happens when, um, you know, we can't get jobs because of our social reputation or you know, things like that. It's just, it's just a great book for, for a bunch of, you know, really big ideas, but, but grounded in a theme park that we all love. And the other interesting thing about the book is it's free. So Corey made it open source. Um, he's an inspiration in a lot of ways. I love the man. Um, but you can, uh, you can Google it and download it and read it today. It's for absolutely no dollars. And in fact, he actually, he actually licensed it so that you can make derivative works of it. If you wanted to write your own version of Down Out in the Magic Kingdom, you could do that starting with Corey's work. It's just it's a, it's a fantastic concept. The guy's a great thinker. It's interesting. I, I read this years ago, like you mentioned, what, around the time it came out. And but I didn't realize he was um, he had made it open source and was doing all that, which is really cool. I what I like about this, too, is compared to and I'm, I'm not going to say bad, terrible things about them, but compared to like the Kingdom Keeper series, which are interesting concept, but are written for a certain age and a certain audience. This is something that I think because he's getting into bigger issues, I think yeah. is not so direct or the most obvious thing it's kind of interesting in that way so i it's it's yeah. not something that's just like for wink wink nod nod like here's all these references that disney fans would enjoy it's no different the other thing that i that i love about it is his the way that he weaves in his, his use of the language to introduce a concept like he 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 calls this this social capital thing Woofy, and I forget exactly how he says it, but he introduces it like on the first page of the book, and you immediately grasp from the context what it is. Where he doesn't have to, you know, explain it 
There's no footnote or anything like that. It basically says there's this thing exists. It implies that, you know, it follows you around everywhere, like a, you know, like a, a personality score. And his use of language in presenting these ideas, which again, in 2003, nobody knew about it, but you, know, you could pick it up today and, and, and totally understand every futuristic idea he was going for. It's just, it's really, really good use of words, you know? I have to check this out. Sounds like really interesting. Oh, you read it? I have not. And I'm glad you brought an, a novel into the mix. Yeah, great, great book. A lot of fun. In fact, I, I, I read it last week again just for this show. How do you like that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> my final pick, so I'm, I'm sharing just five titles, um, was a surprise pick. So I did not share this with um, either Ooh. of you. And, uh, and mind you, it was on my list before I, um, mind you, I, I had a kind of a sense of what I was going to include on my list. And I certainly wanted to be mindful of the, the lists that each of you shared with me so it wouldn't be very duplicative. But this secret title is actually co-authored by one of the guests joining us today. It's actually the unofficial guide to Walt Disney oh. World. <laughs> and I'm not sucking up to you, Len, seriously. Um, for me, this has been the essential Disney travel book um, that I've had for many, many years in different iterations. Uh, and I can't say I necessarily prefer one year over another year because that would be really getting into the weeds, but um, I feel like for, for anybody who wants to plan their Walt Disney World vacation, whether you're very familiar with the parks or um, perhaps just going for the first time, this is a really reliable compendium that's great value, generally retails for about $20. Um, and it's packed with a lot of valuable insights, not only about the attractions, but the restaurants and the hotels and saving time and money and going into the weeds, but also being extremely accessible and ultimately generating a lot of great feedback from readers. It feels like it's more of an interactive uh, text in that type of manner. Um, I, would, I would say that the touring plans are, are helpful and uh, very varied. And what, what, one thing that, and maybe I haven't shared this with you, Len, but I really appreciate how there's, even though it's not a lot of material, but you all account for how different types of, different communities of people experience the parks whether it's senior citizens, folks with disabilities, um, different age ranges. I think um, solo travelers, I think that's a really important element. Um, and ultimately, I like the prose as well. Um, it's, it's fun to read. I, I want to read a favorite sentence of mine that I had uh, come oh, across. Go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you who wrote it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it you or Bob? Let's see. Yeah, I'll, I'll, tell, I, I'll tell you right back because we both have our styles. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is the ecstasy and the agony section of Walt Disney World with yeah. kids. So uh, would you be surprised to learn that almost 60% of preschoolers... <laughs> yeah, it's Bob. I know where you're going. 60% of preschoolers said the thing that they liked best about their Disney vacation was the hotel swimming pool. Um, and I know you all talked too about how among the most popular experiences in the parks are not always the attractions, but rather the character interactions, which um, yeah. is very telling. But ultimately, I think this is a, a really down-to-earth, humorous read, a great resource, um, lots of helpful tables and charts. Uh, I think kind of complementing these other books, which are more about the history and art, uh, and even your selection line of a fictional piece, um, we need to really recognize that there's a lot of great guidebooks out there, and certainly this is not the only one, um, but this is certainly among the most comprehensive titles. 
There you have it. Did you want to say something nice about, you something nice about me <laughs> no, before I talk? No, no. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Um, Leave it. No, I had this. No. Mo- <laughs> that was great. Oh I, I had this momentary funny. thought when you said was on this podcast. I'm like, no, I didn't write a book. What could this be? Oh, I don't I know. <laughs> yeah. Secret um, title. I want to mention one thing about the Thunderstruck Guide. I promise I won't go overboard. The first one I had was the 98 version, which I know yeah. was um, before I think you were writing, obviously, on it. But you mentioned Len earlier, like that you had that one from the mid 90s. And that yeah, one I fun, still yeah. have. And I remember before we went, we went in 98, it was like I, I was just out of college or something. And I remember like studying that book, like it was like, oh, yeah. The Bible oh, dude, I read because, the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I still do that now. But I mean, it's different now because again, I'm going with kids. I'm looking at things like, like you know, restaurants and everything. Where then it was like attractions. Like I was so zoned in on the attractions. So it's always been good. I've got tons of versions that I've had. So um, so good job, good job, one. Thank you. The uh, I just finished um, first draft of the 2021 edition, which, as you can imagine, is just all, uh, very difficult considering you know what's oh, yeah. what everything that's going on right now. The um. The, the things that I've, I've learned a couple of things. Number one, um, is I've written the book now for 20, I, I, my, I was co-author in 2003, but I've probably been writing lots of it since 2000. So let's say 20 years. Bob's been doing it for 35, right? Um, and I was mentioning to someone the other day, we were talking about Disney Genie, right? The, uh, the app that's coming out mm. at some point, it's going to like, sort of like, plan your day for you and go from step to step. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it sounds, it sounds amazing. But you think about this, Bob Salinger came up with that idea 35 years ago. You know, I, I, wrote, the, I wrote the software for it 20 years ago. The, 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 I, Bob is, is really, really smart. Um, and he has been nothing but kind and supportive to, as far as I can tell, every single person in the theme park community who has ever asked his advice. Um, he, is a, he is a mentor to me, uh, and he's a calming influence on me. You know, when I want to scream about what Disney's doing, Bob is the, is the voice of sanity and has always been for that book. And uh, when I go out and every time I, every time I sit at the, at the keyboard and I, I write, you know, a section or a page or whatever for the book, the back of my head... I think of two things. One, how would Bob say this? And, and two, would he actually say it at all? Right. So if I'm not, you know, if, if, if I want to scream about Disney in, in the book, you know, Bob would tell me, you know, what good does this do to the readers? You know, is this a piece of advice that they can use in the book? The, um, the other thing that I think Bob has always been into is getting input from the readers on what their problems are and trying to solve it. And, and here's an example of that. Um, I may have told this story too on, on, on both of your podcasts. So forgive me if I, if I did, but when I became co-author and you know, we started getting emails, Bob insisted that we answer the emails ourselves, him and I, which was great in 19, you know, 1999 when you would get two emails a day, you know, from people who knew how to use computers. Right. Um, or, or could the only, because the only, you're only getting two because only that many people knew how to use computers. That's the way I should say it. Um, but in 2010, I got just myself 16,000 oh my emails gosh. about the unofficial guy. Right? Um, so, but to, to Bob's credit, he 
made us all sit down and figure out what it was that people were asking about. And then we tried to figure out a way to answer those questions, you know, using the internet. And by the way, I don't know if I've ever told the story, but we actually proposed the website, you know, um, a, a, a companion website to the book in 2000. And at the time, the book was being published by Wiley. And Wiley said, no, absolutely not, because then people will use the website and they won't use the book. So absolutely no way. And it turns out, A, that was completely wrong. And, and B, I wish Wiley had existed long enough for me to point that out to them. Sadly, they are no no longer doing travel stuff. But, um, you know, we did the website basically saying, you know, I shut us down. I dare you. Um, and it turns out that the people who use the website and the people who use the book, there's almost no overlap between the two. Um, or at least the, the, the people who are willing to pay for one but not the other is very, very small. Um, so there's, in many ways, you know, Bob, Bob knew that the internet would be a complement to publishing, not a competitor. Right. And he knew that in, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I still think, you know, it, it took, it took the publishing industry probably another 15 years, you know, to figure that out. So the guy has just been, been really, really smart. And it's the constant focus on solving reader problems. I mean, those are the big lessons that I got out of, out of all of this. And uh, in fact, I, mean, I, I talked to him yesterday and we've emailed a couple times today. He's just, he's just a fantastic guy to work for. And I love the team and everybody. It's just, it's been, it's been one of the great things of my adult life, that relationship. We haven't always seen eye to eye on a bunch of things, but he, he's just been, he's just, he's a true friend and he's fantastic to work with. And that's, that's if you would see the smart ass comments that he edits for my book, have I ever told you that I tried to get a quote from David Lee Roth from Van Halen in the book for 15 <laughs> consecutive years? Have I told you this? No, that's hilarious. Fifth, I would sneak in something like a single line from a Van Halen song in the middle of like, you know, talking about World Showcase, and he would find it and edit it out. And for like the first five years, it was pretty obvious. So like, you know, I would start a chapter heading with, you know, some David Lee Roth quote, right? And But then it was like, okay, now I'm going to get it past it, right? And every year, for 15 years, he found the damn quote and took it out. And I was like, finally, finally, I, in the, in the uh, unofficial guide to the Disney Cruise Line, I finally got a David Lee Roth quote because it was about boats. And how uh, money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys you a boat big enough to pull up next to it. That was the quote. <laughs> anyway, it's it, it's super fun writing the book. I uh, I hope it's enjoyable for uh, for everyone to uh, to read. By the way, um, I don't know if you, if you guys have read it recently, but at the beginning of the book, now we actually say like we give an origin story for the book, and it's basically how Bob and I screwed up our own family vacations and decided like we're never going to do this again. You know, the next time we do this, we're going to do this right. So basically every, every piece of advice in the book comes from someone screwing up something on their own family. That's, so That's the story of the unofficial guide. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Virtual applause your way. Um, so Thank I'm you. done with my book selections. So it's uh, to both of you to close us out on some really nice selections. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to mention about Bob Sillinger. There's a season past podcast episode from like 2015 where he talks about the whole origins of it that is very cool i mean so it's i, th I think it's still out there but um that's worth listening to i remember because you don't hear from him as much as as you len just being on so many podcasts yeah. and hosting and everything but that show was really cool for me to actually hear the the side of it from him okay but i know we're getting very long here so i will make this one a shorter description 
But I wanted to mention one more book that is kind of different than what we've talked about so far. And that is Project Future, the inside story behind the creation of, of Disney World. Now, that sounds like it might be more of like an Imagineering book or, wow, this is so exciting. It's a little different. I don't mean to say it's boring, but it's by Chad Emerson, who um, for a while was really covering the parks as a journalist. He doesn't do that much anymore. But he wrote the story like a journalist would be writing a story about land development and real estate. So going in knowing that, I found it interesting because, again, it's not the story of, you know, the Magic Kingdom and what attractions they chose or the hotels and what they, how they built them and what they did with the theming. This is the story of how they went and purchased all the land and, you know, the different corporations they used. And he goes and looks through legal documents and everything else. And mm. I found it really interesting. I mean, it's not a book that I'm just going to, like, go back and read, like, because, like, like, it's different than any of the other books I've mentioned today. But I felt like it was a really interesting story, especially because we hear the same things over and over. Like, even in Since the World Began, which is a great book, there's a few pages on this topic. It basically takes those two pages and about like how they bought the land and Reedy Creek and all those things and it goes, spreads that out to 200 pages. And that might not be for everyone. Some people might say, Dan, that sounds like a college lecture or whatever. But to me, I found it really interesting because it went way beyond just the company story, if that if makes sense. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. a solid title. I have this one as well. And I've, I've referred to it at different junctures as just a resource. And I think it's well-written and, and quite viable in kind of telling the history of the resort. When was it published? Um, let me think. I mean, because the one I have is not the first version, but I think 2010 is the version that oh, I have. Oh, so recently. Yeah, that so, sounds right. So, yeah. So it's been out for a while, and it hasn't been updated, but it's one of those that kind of, um, you know, it's pretty, it's paperback. It's like 10 bucks. It's pretty easy to find. So I think oh, it's a good read. Bad. Okay. That's fantastic. Nice. Len, how about you? I think you have at least. All right, one so more. I've got to, I've got one more book, and then um, a couple of uh, a couple of other references. So the book um, is relatively new. It's Mark Davis in his own words by Pete Doctor with oh, Christopher Merritt. So this is 2019, two volume set. Like the last word on Mark, Mark Davis's career, Imagineering. Um, hundreds of pages, beautifully illustrated, goes over in in exquisite detail all of the big attractions that Mark Davis worked on. And not only, I mean, there are photographs in there, but to see the concept art for, for things that he did next to the photographs. And then to see the concept art for things that didn't get built, right? So like, for example, um, one of the first big attractions that Mark did was Jungle Cruise, the Jungle Cruise redo in the early 60s of Disneyland. And the book walks you scene by scene through the concept art that Mark developed, so the sacred elephant bathing pool, um, and they talk about how you know Mark's drawings influenced Blaine Gibson's sculpting, or the Cambodian ruins redesign, or the African veld, or the trap safari gag, and so on. Um, the the we see you know the all the different concept art and the notes that went along with those, uh, and then you know we know which ones got built and which which ones didn't, but. Um, you know, later on in, the, in that same chapter, he talks about how um, California apparently got another redo in 76. And he talks about what made it into Florida in 71 and then what made it to Tokyo in 79 as well. So 
it's I think it's the last word on Jungle Cruise concept art. Like I, I don't know that there's any more that we would we would get from anywhere else on that ride or on uh, from that book. The um the other attractions that he talks about Enchanted Tiki Room and he gives the whole history of it. Um, how it was uh, him, Harry Burns, Walter Rogers, and Raleigh Crump working on it, and how Walt wanted it to be a restaurant, and how they pitched the idea to Coca-Cola, and that didn't work out. Um, but there's bird designs in there, the sculpting of the birds, you know, the flower designs, the tiki designs, all of that. Um, and then the story, again, of how it became a, a show from a restaurant. And I, I love the tiki room. I love the Disneyland version of the tiki room. So this was, uh, this was really good. Um, he talks about his work on three of the or four of the attractions for Magic, uh, sorry, for New York World's Fair in 64, 65. That's the Ford Magic Skyway. He talks about the design, uh, design of dinosaurs and the cave people. Uh, um, great moments with Mr. Lincoln and how all of that worked out. The Carousel of Progress, which we've all talked about. Um, and then It's a Small World. So apparently Mark did a rough sketch of the track layout. And then helped out on the early model development, uh, including the sets in the background before um, Mary Blair sort of finished it. But or added her imprint. I think it's. I think we all agree it's a Mary Blair attraction. But um, the stuff that Mark sketched out, you can see influenced Mary a little bit. Again, I think it's a Mary Blair attraction. And she did the the heavy lifting on it. Um, but there's some stuff in there you can see that that Mark did. Um, there's a chapter on Pirates of the Caribbean that talks about its history as a wax museum, which I forgot about. Do you guys remember this? That it was a wax supposed to be a wax museum before it was a ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think every every famous character sketch we know from Pirates comes from Mark drawing it. Um, so he goes scene by scene through the Disneyland ride, and from from the concept art, you know, he, he does these like expansive drawings across multiple pages um, for what the the ride was supposed to feel like and so you could tell like from the very beginning they were thinking big about the uh the attraction the um but the other thing i love is in the uh in the scenes of the wax museum there are scenes that didn't get built obviously because the wax museum part didn't get built but like there's this scene of a pirates in a tavern and pirates in a ship where you look at those drawings and you like i thought if they added this scene to Pirates of the Caribbean right now, it would totally fit in. And, and so like the, the feeling that we get, the, the, the essence of Pirates of the Caribbean was always coming from Mark, right? No matter whether it was the wax museum or the ride. And I think that's one of the things I got out of that part of the book. Um, you, you guys, if, uh, Tana, have you read this book? I haven't read it yet, but it's one of those that's, as much as any book that anyone's oh, right. ever yeah, we, talked about that yeah, I need to get. It's $80 now. I, yeah, I think I paid like 154 or whatever. I will be getting He talks about the Haunted Mansion. There's actually a two-part thing um, going through the, you know, the character studies for that, how the stretching was done. Um, but again, um, scene by scene through it. So it's a fantastic addition to the other books that we talked about um, for, for the Haunted Mansion. He closes out with a couple of things. The Country Bear Jamboree, which I don't care what anybody says, it's a classic ride. Um, talking about the design of the individual bears, which may be a little bit more detailed than I need, but we'll let Mark do it. Um, and then a bunch of stuff we, we didn't get. So 
the Western River expedition yes. that was supposed to come to Walt Disney World as a huge e-ticket. Um, but if you look at that, right, so it goes through each of the scenes that we were supposed to get in Western River expedition. And there's a bunch of stuff that we, we never got, like Gunfight Town or the Great Gulch City Bank robbery, right? Never got that. But if you look at, at some of the other concept art, like the town, which was called Party Town, in the Western River Expedition, right, in the concept art, it sort of looks like what's in Big Thunder, like what we got. So you can see how some of the stuff that he did in 69, we ended up getting for Big Thunder Mountain in the, in the 80s. Um, and so that's where I think that's, it. that's interesting to see, although the ride never got built, what stuff got lifted for the similarly themed um, Big Thunder ride when we did get built. There's a ton of stuff around Florida, some stuff that got built, some stuff that didn't, but like, you know, electrical water pageant, Rivers of America, um, Tom Story Island. There was apparently this idea for a Fort Wilderness funhouse, which I would have loved to have seen. Um, yeah, so overall, a great book. It, uh, it closes with a bunch of unrealized projects. Um, and so I want to use this as a jumping off point. There were um, a couple of things that he mentions. One is apparently they were going to do a Wizard of Oz attraction. Um, there's another thing called Gardens of the Gods, which looked very Fantasia-ish to me. Um, there's a proposed attraction on Silly Symphonies, a Circus Disney, a bunch of ideas for Rivers of America that never got done, and then a bunch of gags for um, Disneyland Railroad that never happened. But, um, but one I wanted to bring up is this thing called Enchanted Snow Palace. Have you guys heard of it? Yes, it sounds familiar, and I, I think I remember looking at that chapter. Okay, so it's, it's Disney's first take on the story that would become Frozen back in the 70s. So there's a ton of great concept art um, from it. As you can imagine, if it's, dealing, if it's called Enchanted Snow Palace and it's dealing with Frozen, um, there's a lot of dancing polar bears and penguins and icicles, you know, all done in sort of characteristic Mark Davis fashion. Um, the ride never got built, but I bring up Enchanted Snow Palace um, because not only did Mark Davis work on that, but he also worked on the American Pavilion at Epcot, but that version of it didn't get built. The reason why I mentioned both of those is uh, it, in New York, in Manhattan, at NYU, uh, there's the archives of uh, Norman Buddy Baker, who was a composer for Disney starting in the 50s and working through, uh, I believe, 2001. And in those archives, um, they have the sheet music for Enchanted Snow Palace and the original version of America Sings, uh, sorry, of This Is America from the American Pavilion. Not only do they have it, you can go look at it. Not only can you look at it, but they'll give you the sheet music and you can take the sheet music and have it recorded by professional musicians, which I've done. I will pause now for comments. <laughs> wow that's impressive <laughs> yeah so i uh i found the, the sheet music for enchanted snow palace going through the nyu archives and these are i don't know if you guys have ever seen the sheet music but it's like 18 inches wide and two feet tall each piece of music and it's hand hand uh notations by buddy baker you know saying this is what i'm going for and and sometimes there are accompanying scripts with it so for example he uh buddy baker did the um the soundtrack for wonders of China, the film. And so along with that is sort of like the script of the movie. And, and you can see where Buddy Baker is marking off, you know, each word, how many seconds it takes to, to speak 
you know, each word in each sentence so that he can make the music hit its points, right? So that the music ends when the, the narrator um, starts to stop talking. But for Enchanted Snow Palace, um, what we have is, is three ballets of about two minutes each. And when you listen to it and look, what I do is I, I looked at the concept art while the music was playing, sort of get a, a sense of the whole thing. And it, it, these two guys work together really, really well because the music fits perfectly with what's in the Mark Davis book. Like you can flip the pages as the music plays and the music takes about six minutes to get all three bellies and it takes about six minutes to look at the concept art. So it's, it's kind of a perfect soundtrack for them. The, um, the other thing is, is so Mark was uh, getting towards the end of his Disney career um, when he was working on the uh, first version of the American Pavilion, the U.S. Pavilion. So he did, um, he did a bunch of um, takes, lyrics for uh, a song called This Is America. And the Pete Doctor book has um, different examples of these songs, right? It's got one. Um, so the, the, the concept was he would do the same song, right, with the same melody, but with different words in different scenes. So for example, there was supposed to be one scene in the, uh, the American Pavilion where we're talking about cities. So you have the same song, but with different words about cities in it. And then the next scene you're talking about sports. And so you'd have the same song, but with words about sports in it and so on. So, I, um, so I'm going through this and uh, looking at it, I realized that the, there's one version dated, I believe 1976, that is the first known version of the song, This Is America. And there's a reason it didn't end up in Pete Doctor's book about Mark Davis. And that's because it has some, um, I don't, it's not offensive. It's, uh, it was appropriate, I guess, for the time, but the lyrics include things like liberated misses and bikinis and uh, talking about Indian chiefs in it. So it, it didn't make the cut for Disney's editors apparently, but it's available in the Buddy Baker archives in NYU. And again, I, I had the song recorded. So true story, I actually asked Disney if I could use the music in a podcast talking about the songs, and they said no. Oh, boy. And they didn't say no because they didn't want to talk about it. They said no because they couldn't figure out a way to say yes. Huh. So the, uh, the third thing I want to bring up about Norman Buddy Baker is um, Dan had mentioned the Africa Pavilion. I actually have a soundtrack to the Africa Pavilion as well because I, um, I paid musicians to record it. And it is amazing. It is my favorite of the, of the recorded music that, that Buddy Baker has um, in there. It's, you, could, you could tell exactly where you would be in Africa on it. Um, and I'll end, I'll end this section with, the, with this one story. Um, so apparently in the Buddy Baker archives is the original handwritten sheet music to Haunted Mansion. And it was the first box that I looked at when, cause you know, you, you have to ask at the archives for a particular box. So I'm like, Oh my God, let me look at the Haunted Mansion stuff. So I open up the box. I'm wearing my white gloves and I'm sitting in the NYU um, fails library uh, archives. And I open it up. And the first thing is, is literally the, the, the original handwritten sheet music to grim grinning ghosts. And I look around and I think, okay, two things. One, who do I know that needs a Christmas present? And 
two, how am I going to get this out of the library? And then I thought, this is the reason why they put me right in front of the librarian's desk, <laughs> because they knew I would try something like this if I had a chance. And obviously, I didn't do it, but it's because it's still there. But yeah, my first thought was like, who needs a Christmas present, which is terrible, terrible thinking. Um, yeah, so anyway, I have the audio. Uh, maybe I'll send it to you guys when we're done. But yeah, Disney wouldn't, uh, wouldn't release it. But fantastic archives, wonderful, wonderful notes. The other thing is that, that uh, it's in Buddy Baker is the script for the American Adventure a full year before the show was recorded, before it opened. And it's locked down. Like the script is literally word for word exactly what we got, which is interesting to me that they, had, they, they knew it uh, a year in advance. I will pause for comments here because I, I'm going to link this into the next thing. That's interesting. Um, well, a lot of that is interesting. Buddy Baker, the more I learn about him, the more I realize even where he's not officially credited, like maybe music for Impressions to France or even, you know, Wonders of China, there was right. a composer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's involved with basically every music that, I mean, that went into Epcot. Advertising. Yeah. Oh, all over Epcot. Yeah. So the other interesting thing in Epcot is apparently there was a, a, a version of the energy pavilion that had Jiminy Cricket in it. Huh. Wow. Which okay. never, never made it. So, so we have sheet music from 77 um, with, with Jiminy Cricket singing the song called Omno Fool about energy. Wow. And again, it, it, the, the idea was that, um, you know, uh, people expected Disney characters in a Disney theme park. Um, Exxon wanted to communicate stuff about energy. They needed a, uh, an authentic spokesperson from Disney. They're like, oh, Jiminy Cricket. So they actually went as far as coming up with a song for it. And it's, it's super Jiminy Crickety. I mean, like it's super positive, you know, stuff. But, um, but yeah, the, the, you recorded a ton of stuff that's in the archives that never made it out. And you can see from the, you know, from the, the show notes that they gave him to, to work on the music, um, what they were going for. And again, a lot of stuff never got released. The other interesting thing is he apparently wrote a lot of this stuff on the fly. Like a lot of the, a lot of these, the, these sheets of music are, are entirely handwritten. And then you know, he handed it to a transcriber and eventually we got, you know, printed versions of the sheet music, but you can see him like, you know, writing stuff out and then erasing things and then trying new ideas. You can, you can see that all in the archives. It's, it's really fascinating to see how we worked. That's amazing. I, I found all that fascinating. There were so many mic drops there, Len. I'm surprised we can still hear you. Um, I'm like, wow, you have all that uh, really cool insider information and access. And I, I just wanted to harken back to the Mark Davis and his Unwards book for just a moment. I think it's one of the best Disney titles released, yeah. um, period. Um, and particularly that came from Disney editions, which, which is really good on um, that there's that richness. Um, I talked with Chris Merritt, one of the authors of the book on an episode of the podcast, and um, he's just a really genuine person. He and Pete Doctor had a close relationship and really received a lot of mentorship from Mark Davis. So you know it's coming from someone who views him with the utmost respect and certainly translates his stories, hence it's in his own words. Um, it's, a, it's absolutely a must. And um, I would also uh, say folks check out the Book of the Mouse Club podcast again, because uh, they, they have recently explored uh, this massive tome um, in even more depth. So all really good stuff there. 
Okay. Well, I don't have anything more to say as, as far as new books. I think I've gone through my whole list, Brett. Same here. Same here. <laughs> All right. I've got, I've got one more then uh, and I'll do quick. Um, so there's uh, a collection of Epcot related archives on the site called DisneyDocs.net. Um, and, and there's this interesting thing by uh, Hollywood director, Joseph Mangowitz. Have you guys heard of this? Yes, the name's familiar. I'm not familiar with exactly what you're going to be talking about. So, so Mankiewicz was a Hollywood producer. He did the film Cleopatra in the 50s, right? So big budget Hollywood epics, right? So when Disney decided that they were going to build Epcot, the theme park, in the 70s, they had some, you know, some, some conceptual ideas, right? They know they needed a, they knew they wanted a seas pavilion, a pavilion about transportation, a story about humanity, right, and so on. But then they had some vague ideas. So they, they call in uh, Mankiewicz, they call in Ray Bradbury, right? Big sort of thinkers of the time, people who understood how to communicate important ideas to, to you know, large numbers of people. And they gave them the ideas and said, what would you do in this scenario? So Joseph Mankiewicz has, did 160 pages of notes from these meetings in the mid 70s with Disney. And it covered the development of the Epcot. Um, and they're all available for free, DisneyDocs.net. Um, and it's amazing for a couple of reasons. One is it shows the original, never seen, never got produced scripts for both Spaceship Earth and The American Adventure. Um, two, it shows the idea that Joseph Mankiewicz pitched to Disney, especially for things like Spaceship Earth. So we all know what we got in Spaceship Earth, right? It's the, the history of communication on the planet, right? And how communication makes us all better. Um, Joseph Mankiewicz, um, when Joseph Mankiewicz got involved, all they knew is they wanted something about mankind. So he pitched to them a theme called Mankind's Struggle for Survival, which I cannot think of a worse concept or title <laughs> for a theme park attraction kidding, to right. open your park. But it was basically like, you know, we, 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 we crawled out of the muck and, you know, look at all the challenges that we've had just to survive. And, you know, we fought amongst ourselves and we fought the animals and we fought the church and we fought revolutions. And it's just been this one long incessant war with everything around us just to get where we're at. And I'm like, this is not going to sell any t-shirts. It's just not. Um, but so he, he had these notes and he, don't get me wrong. Some of his ideas were actually really, really, a lot of his ideas were really, really well thought out. He's a super intellectual guy. Very, very smart. Um, he wanted, for example, in, in, in the spaceship earth, the thing that became spaceship earth to talk about, you know, the, the splitting of the atom and what that means both, you know, positively and negatively. Um, and he actually referenced it by, by going back to the original experiments that Enrico Fermi did in Chicago in the forties and he actually mentioned this in the note, like, like, you know, of course, everyone that sees this attraction will be familiar with the, the work of physicist Enrico Fermi in the 1940s from Chicago. I'm like, I had to go back up and look at it just to make sure I was right, right? So super smart guy. None of the stuff ever, ever came to, to fruition, but it does include the earliest known examples of the script for American Adventure, which was... Um, Will Rogers apparently had a, a, a really big part in it. Um, also, you know, Mark Twain is there um, as well. Um, 
And then the it references the Ray Bradbury script to Spaceship Earth. Have you guys ever seen the Ray Bradbury script for Spaceship Earth? I know a lot about what that was going to be, but I don't think I've read the whole thing. It's yeah. a poem. It was supposed to be a poem, which again, I, I love the concept. Would it have worked in a theme park? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But can I, can I just read one, one part of it? Sure. Do you mind? All right. So here's part of the Ray Bradbury original concept script. Uh, it's, uh, it starts off with a, a disembodied voice that says, what are we? Where did we come from and where go? Where is our past that lies beneath us like the dust? Let us sink into the past, that dust, to find ourselves. Let us bury ourselves like the five billion year locust and then burst forth with wings to plan tomorrow's noon. Now, suns reverse, all moons rephase. And again, like we should have got that for a ride. I think that would have been absolutely <laughs> fantastic. I think, I think we should all record this in our own voices and then just ride the ride and play it and see what happens. Yes. Anyway, fantastic stuff. I do know the original narration, like I've watched, the, there aren't very, very, the first one, not the Cronkite, the first version is not that far off of what you just said. There's no locust involved, but the original <laughs> one, like Martin's videos has, has put together sell. one. Yeah, where they play well, like the, the audio, you know, and have like some clips, some still images. And it's a lot of that like, from the dawn of time you know like yeah. very serious it, it's it's um so i think they took some of it just maybe not that yeah. much yeah and then it yeah, eventually you, became you, judy dunch saying do you know your abcs <laughs> <laughs> slightly different <laughs> quite different yeah. tone it uh you can see how like there's kernels of ideas that get used here and there but uh yeah, nothing as bold as what uh, ray bradbury or joseph mankowitz proposed but but fantastic looks inside you know, what Disney was thinking back in the 70s for Epcot. Well, this has been a, a fantastic ride in thinking of all that we have covered in terms of Walt Disney World books. We have reached a record here on Notably Disney in terms of longest episode. Um, and in addition to that, a really rich discussion. Um, I want to thank both of you for being on the podcast once again. And, and I recognize that each of you have a number of different ways in which folks can find you and your work and projects. So can we uh, start off by, Dan, how can folks follow the Tomorrow Society podcast as well as um, you on social media? Sure. Well, yeah, I host the Tomorrow Society podcast. It's an interview show um, with some former Imagineers, podcasters, authors, filmmakers. You can find that just by searching on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you'd like to look. And then my website is tomorrowsociety.com. I'm on Twitter at tomorrowsoc, and then Facebook and Instagram at Tomorrow Society. And then the podcast also has a YouTube channel that you can find just by searching for Tomorrow Society Podcast. So a lot out there, but it's all a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, Len, how about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on touringplans.com uh, or I write the or co-author of the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World, which is coming out probably in January for the 2021 edition. I also do um, this podcast called the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. You can find that at uh, disneydish.bandcamp.com. Yeah, so we know uh, one of your biggest fans is none other than Josh Gad, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> 
Dan, Len, it's always a pleasure talking with you. This was a really great dialogue. I feel like I learned about other titles that need to be part of my Walt Disney World book collection. And I imagine um, our listeners probably agree in hearing your wonderful and very detailed perspective. So thank you both again. Thanks a lot, Brad. It was a blast. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. This is great. And my thanks go out to Dan Heaton and Len Testa for joining me on this more than two-hour dialogue about Walt Disney World books. Hope you all enjoyed it. I'd be interested in hearing what are some of your favorite Walt Disney World selections. Maybe they actually surfaced in our conversation via the podcast. Maybe we didn't talk about them whatsoever. And as you heard, we really focused on a mix of books that focused exclusively on Walt Disney World or touched on it in different ways, uh, feel free to share your favorite selections to NotablyDisney at gmail.com. Also feel free to share with me via Twitter uh, at bnackmanreports. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnackmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to NotablyDisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.